The first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of of the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now the day was the Sabbath. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The Gospel of Christ. As I begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. And so I'd pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way. Far less of me, far more of you. That your people gathered this day would be edified, your son Jesus glorified. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? We're looking this summer at some incredible Old Testament narratives, 
passages where God's name or names are revealed. For biblically, a name captured someone's character, the nature, the essence of who they were. But when it comes to God, one name cannot contain him. But each name, like the many sides of a diamond, reveal the glory of who God is. Now today we're looking at a very short passage from the book of Exodus, where God is revealed as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. Now although this is a very short passage, it's very complex. There's a whole lot going on here. But if I were to summarize this passage in just one sentence, it would be this. By way of a transforming work, a new name is revealed, inviting a new relationship, and foreshadowing a glorious future. By way of a transforming work, a new name is revealed, inviting a new relationship, and foreshadowing a glorious future. So first, a transforming work. Now last week, James brought us to look at Moses' encounter with God in the burning bush, choosing him as an agent of his salvation for the Hebrew people. And through the intervening chapters of Exodus, we hear of God rescuing his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We hear of plagues and parted sea. We hear of the people coming safely to the other side and stopping to give praise to God for salvation in song. But God's work of salvation has only just begun. For the people are out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of the people. They've grown used to the bounty, the fertility of the Nile. It is that that they trust for provision, not the living God. Their hearts have been turned to worship the gods of the Egyptians, making their customs, their practices of worship their own. They've been formed for generations as slaves and now must discover what it is to be free They must be healed from the trauma that they have suffered and learn what it is to be a nation, to be a people of justice and equality. And that will require a transforming work. It's a work that is summarized in Deuteronomy 8 as it reflects back on God's work with his people. As he says, I led you in the desert to humble you, to test you, that you would know what was in your hearts, that you would be formed as my people, formed as a people who would trust me. Now we catch work of that, catch rather wind of that transforming work right from the opening verse. It's active, deliberate. Moses made Israel go out into the wilderness. Three days in, their water reserves are gone, and they come to a place called Mara. There's water there, but it's bitter, likely from the concentration of mineral salts. It's undrinkable, and the people begin to grumble. Now think of it. The past few months for them as a nation have been something else. After hundreds of years of slavery, A fellow Hebrew, Moses, comes speaking of a God who has heard their cries and desires their freedom. 
And Moses stands in the face of the might of Pharaoh and demands it. But Pharaoh's hard heart will not relent and faces ten successive plagues, all pointedly directed toward one of the gods of Egypt, revealing that Moses is God, the I Am is Lord of lords and King of kings and God of gods. Pharaoh finally relents, grants their freedom, but quickly changes his mind. He sends his army out after them, but a great wind at just the right time opens up the narrows for passage and then quits at just the right time to swallow up their pursuers. They had seen the God who had heard their cries. They had beheld his might, his power, his glory, and then they run out of water. And what do they do? They grumble. Could not this God give them wonder, give them water? Would not this God continue his care of them? Was it beyond this God to meet their need? It was a test to reveal what was in their hearts. Not for God's sake, he already knew what was in their hearts. It was a test for their sake. So that they would see what was in their hearts so that they would be invited to and build the necessary trust that would enable their healing, their wholeness, their flourishing, so that they would become the people of God, mirroring His goodness, His love, His justice. And what do they do in the face of that test? They grumble. Now, the Bible is full of expression of such bitter complaint part and parcel of a life of faith, that we would see the sorrow, the pain, the injustice of our world and cry out to God, God, if you're good and loving and sovereign, why don't you do something about this? But that is not what the people are doing here. This is not bitter complaint to God. This is bitter complaint about God. A very particular Hebrew word is used for it, lund. Bitter complaint about God. It's rebellious muttering. It's under the breath plotting to return to Egypt. And the place name gives expression to this. It's repeated four times for effect. Mara, bitter. At its root, it means deliberate, defiant disobedience. The test has come and Mara has been revealed. God continues this work in us. Salvation has been brought to you and I by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been rescued from sin and death and hell. And yet, at some level, the work of salvation has only just begun. We must learn what it is to be free of sin and death. We must turn from the idols of our world, be it money, comfort, status, beauty, and learn to trust in Him alone. We must be healed of the trauma our broken world has thrown our way, that we would be formed as His people, a people of His kingdom, a people reflecting His goodness and love. And for that to happen, we must be tested. We must be refined. 
brought to behold what is truly in our hearts, what we truly trust in. That by exercising a muscle of trusting in God, we would trust in him more and more. And why does God do this work in us? Because he loves us. Because he desires our best, our freedom, our healing, our wholeness. That we would reflect the true humanity that we have been created for. For our sake, others' sake, our world's sake. Now I would suspect that many of us are thinking of something perhaps that we've gone through or are going through that strikes us as likely part of this work of God. For more often than not, the testing, refining work of God are just everyday circumstances, relational matters, financial matters, decisions that we're faced with, news that we've received, but that by the power and work of the Spirit, those everyday moments become loaded with significance. For by them, the Spirit reveals what is truly in our hearts, what we truly trust in, such that we are led to the choice that all of those everyday experiences lay before us. Will we trust His wisdom or our wisdom? Will we work toward our best or his best? Will we trust the work of our hands or his work? Will we lay down our lives at the altar of money, of power, success, comfort? Or will we lay down our lives at the altar of the one who has laid down his life for us? Any life experience that brings those vital questions right up to the surface is the refining, testing work of God. And at times, that's a difficult work. It's hard to see what's in our hearts. Hard to let go of the things that we've put our trust in. It's fear-inducing to chart a new course. But know this. It is a work that is born of God's love for us. It is a work of His grace, of a God who desires our best. It is his transforming work. Now such a work is being done in Israel. And it's revealing Mara, bitterness, deliberate, defiant disobedience. And Moses catches wind of this. And to it he adds his own grumbling. But not about God. He grumbles to God. And God shows him a log. Literally a tree which he casts into the water, and the water is made sweet, and it's drinkable, and they're saved, and God is revealed, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. I want us to notice something, something incredibly striking. The nation of Israel has been tested. They've been brought to see what was in their hearts, that they would trust in God alone. Did they pass the test? No. No. They failed miserably. And yet, and yet God gives them water regardless. His mercy, grace, provision come not due to our faithfulness, but due to His faithfulness. It's incredible. And as I reflected on that this week, and looked at those moments in my life where God has tested me, revealed what is in my heart, revealed what I trust in, 
some very difficult things have come to the surface. Things I wouldn't want to admit, I'd want to run from, I'd try and cover over. Things I'd want to blame on others, blame on circumstance. And yet I've been met in that moment by the grace, mercy, gentleness, and generosity of God. And it has been the only thing that allowed me to admit what God revealed in my heart. The only thing that led me to see that God indeed can be trusted. It's the same here. Mara has been revealed. Their trust not in God, but in the provision of Egypt. And they're met not with judgment. They're met with grace. They're met with revelation. I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Now, just as you come to know me and I come to know you, it changes the dynamics of our relationship. So, too, the more we get to know God, the more it changes the dynamics of our relationship with Him. So, what new relationship are we invited into with the God who is Jehovah Rapha? Well, here at Marah, the people were given a statute, a rule. We don't know what that rule was. It's not recorded for us. But this is the first of three tests on the way to Sinai. The next test will involve food, quail, manna, bread from heaven, where they're commanded to only take what they need, to not hoard, to share equitably. God is forming them as a nation of justice and equality. And perhaps that begins here at Mara, how the water might need to be shared equitably, fairly. Regardless, what it reveals to us is that healing and obedience, wholeness and faithfulness to God's word are intricately intertwined. Moses summarizes this new relationship in verse 26. And he says, If you listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Now, what does that even mean? Because that sounds like a really good proof text for a health and wealth gospel, right? Come to Jesus and you'll be healthy and wealthy. If you'd stayed home today and turned on Sunday morning television, you probably would have heard some very interesting and disturbing renditions of such a message. And is that what's going on here? S.I. McMillan was a medical doctor and a missionary. And he was deeply, deeply intrigued by this very verse. And he wrote a book about it entitled, None of These Diseases. And in it, he reflected on his many years as a medical doctor, observing the disintegration of people's material reality as a result of living out of step with God's commands. And to set up his thesis, he looked at the commands in Scripture that were given to Israel, commands around things like sanitation, the quarantining of the sick, Avoidance of bodily fluids, prescriptions around washings that involved antiseptic properties, food laws, all which revealed an understanding of microbial biology which was unknown in the ancient world. Obedience and healing, faithfulness to God's word and wholeness, 
are intricately interwoven. Now, from there, Macmillan goes on to reflect on how the other commands of God undergird our physical flourishing. For example, in one of his chapters called The High Cost of Getting Even, he reflects on how he was interacting with patients who were facing intestinal issues and, uh, and issues of high blood pressure that medicines were only touching the symptoms of. And as he began to speak to them, he saw this common theme that many of them were holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. And as they began to chart a course toward love and forgiveness and reconciliation, there was healing of all of those physical symptoms. Not, now, not every physical ailment is a result of living out of step with God's commands. We, we live in a broken world. Where cancer cells and genetic mutation, injury, trauma, all impact our physical reality. But the point is this. God's commands are perfectly suited for who we're created to be. They're meant to undergird our flourishing. The flourishing of our individual lives, our relationships, our communities. By way of a transforming work. A new name is revealed, inviting new relationship of trust and obedience, which lastly foreshadows a glorious future. From Mara, the people once more are led into the desert, this time to a place called Elam, an oasis, a paradise where there are 12 uh, springs and 70 palm trees. It's an echo. It's an echo of the time where Israel came down into Egypt as a family of 12 children, numbering 70 in all. And now they come out of Egypt as 12 tribes and a great nation. The Lord's promises have been fulfilled. But there is a much deeper echo, a booming echo. For the story of Scripture, the story of salvation, opens in paradise In Eden, a command is given, obey me about the tree. And there is Mara, deliberate, defiant disobedience. And they're cast out into the desert. And now here again in the desert, there is again Mara, deliberate, defiant disobedience. But by grace, a tree is provided. And it is cast into the bitter water. And the people are saved And they're led to paradise. It's a story that not only echoes back, it echoes forward. For as B.B. Warfield put it, the Old Testament is like a fully furnished room that is poorly lit. We've got to open up a window and let in the light of God's revelation in Jesus. For every time that God is revealed, it will ultimately point us to Jesus. For Jesus meets our Mara, our deliberate, defiant disobedience, with grace, love, forgiveness, providing a tree, a cross, 
upon which he bears the consequences of our brokenness, takes on our enemies of sin, death, and hell, and displays them defeated. And rising again, he opens up an entirely new future where heaven and earth will be reunited, where the earth will once more become paradise, a new creation that is pulsating with his goodness, his beauty, his love, his justice. For this Jesus is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. It's a future that Jesus is constantly pointing to in his life and work. For Jesus does the bulk of his miracles, the bulk of his healings on Sabbath. He's foreshadowing a cosmic rest where everything that has been touched by sin and death and disease is healed, where all wrongs will be righted, where peace, shalom, full flourishing will be the eternal reality. So let us behold Jesus, our Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, Let us cling to that tree, that cross, the means of our healing. And let us live in step with his commands. For his commands are perfectly suited for our healing, our wholeness, our living in step with true humanity, foreshadowing the glorious future that he has secured by his resurrection. So let us go to him. Let us go to him. For in him and through him is healing. For he is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.